Thank you, choir. It's good to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. You know, as a civil engineer, we studied the faithfulness of materials, you know, the integrity, because you obviously want to build things out of materials that are going to perform consistently and handle certain loads, etc. And that's true of any type of material, whether you're talking about concrete or wood or relationships or uh, faithful to your promises, whatever it may be, there's a sense that we need to see that integrity uh, in order for us to trust it. And I got to thinking about this whole idea of integrity and faithfulness and trust and uh, the role of testing in that. And I thought about, you know, what, what does it take for us to really see what we're capable of? Or if you have a certain skill, or if you're an athlete, for example, uh, you might think, well, I, uh, I've put in this practice, you know, I've practiced this skill, but really we don't know what you have the capability of doing until you're tested. You know, you run the race, you play the game. And even this weekend when we were out at Fort Gordon uh, camping with hundreds of Boy Scouts, uh, they had this uh, contest or this test that they could take, and it, would, it was called the tomahawk throw. And they had these two wooden boards set up, and they would give you these different sized uh, tomahawks, and you would try to throw it and stick it into the board. And I set up a chair kind of next to the tomahawk throw, and I was doing some reading there and watching the kids come through and try to swing those tomahawks, and a number of them just didn't stick. You know, they're, they're just slinging them over the board and under the board and just banging against the board, but then a few of them came up and just, you could tell they've done it before, and just stuck them every time. And you saw once they were able to perform their test, they were shown to have the skill that it takes to pass the test. Uh, There was a building that was constructed in 1902 in New York City that reminds me of this idea as well. It's called called the Flatiron Building. And if you've ever been to New York City, it's on the corner or the intersection of Fifth Avenue and and Broadway, downtown New York City. And it's shaped in a triangular fashion, goes about 22 stories high. And when it was built, it wasn't the largest building of its kind, but it was one of the tallest but what set it apart was that it was one of the tallest standalone skyscrapers and it was of a unique shape. It was shaped as a kind of a right triangle because the, uh, the avenues, Fifth Avenue and Broadway, they kind of intersected at an uh, interesting angle, not a, a right or a, a perpendicular, but actually had a more of a smaller angle. And so they had to build it in a narrow fashion. And as they built this tall building, it was in this corridor as well of, of strong wind. And so after it was completed, bets were made as to how far the debris of the building would go once the building collapsed. Because they were just sure that since it just sat right there in front of those, in that corridor of the wind, that it would, the wind would come through and just knock the building down and debris would just go everywhere. And so they were making these bets. And this part of the story, I'm not 100% sure if it's true, but this is what they said on the little city tour in New York as we went by the building. They said... One day, the architect of the building made his way to the top, to the very roof, and chained himself to the top because this large windstorm was coming through the city. Because he wanted to demonstrate that this building, in fact, can withstand the storm. And so the the winds came through, and the, the building obviously stood firm, and many storms have come through since, and that building is still there today as one of the most photographed and visited buildings in New York City. And so we did... 
people were betting that it would fall. They weren't sure of the structural integrity or faithfulness of it until it stood the test. And the test revealed what was really there. And so regardless whether it's the flat iron building or maybe you're an athlete or a scholar or even your relationship. You know, we may believe we have a strong relationship, but until those tests come along, it's hard to really know what's, what's truly there. And so this morning, we're going to look at a man who experienced uh, dramatic tests. And this test was given by God Himself. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, we're going to read about this dramatic test. And as you turn there, I want to remind you that the writer of Hebrews is writing to encourage his readers to continue to offer themselves up to God by faith, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the trials, regardless of the circumstances or decisions, just to continue to offer themselves up to God by faith in the midst of their trials. And so by way of historic historic example, he cites a test that Abraham was given by God. And so in Hebrews 11... Verses 17 through 19, it says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, He did receive him back. And so from this passage, I want us to try to answer three questions. The first first question is, what is a test? The second question is, why are we tested? And the the third question is, how do we pass the test? And so first, let's look at the first question and seek to answer this question, what is a test? And we see in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 17, that by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then in Genesis 22, we read the following in verses 1 and 2. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so in both the passages, both in Genesis 22 and in Hebrews 11, we have this idea of God testing Abraham. And this word that is translated testing or tested is actually the same word that can be translated tempted. So the word that's translated tested and tempted are actually the same word. And really the difference is the idea of testing is to grow you, and the idea of tempting is to destroy you. And so we see in the Scripture, when God tests His people, it's meant to grow them. And that's exactly what it means when God tests Abraham in this passage. But even as you heard this passage from Genesis 22 read by Kathy earlier, surely you sense the tension of that test. Not only that God would ask a father to offer up his son, but that God would, would ask Abraham to offer up the son that God had given them, that God had given him specifically to fulfill future promises. 
And yet God asks him to offer his son up. And so it produces this tense moment, this tension, this testing. And we know all throughout the book of Genesis, from Genesis 12 all the way through to Genesis 22, we see that Isaac is the son of promise. That in a very miraculous way, God provides a son for Abraham and Sarah, and it will be through this son that not only will Abraham and his family be blessed, but all the nations will be blessed through Isaac. And yet God asked Abraham to to offer him up. And so Abraham was truly being tested. And a test is when God tells you to do something that seems to jeopardize His promises. A test is when God commands you to do something that seems to contradict His promises. And in this account, we see Abraham facing such a test. You know, it would be like if someone asked you to build a bridge. They said, you know, here's what I want you to do. I want to get you from this point to this point. And the way I'm going to do that is I want you to build this bridge. So I want you to build it. So you build it. And then they say, well, now I want you to, to destroy it. And you would think, okay, you, you said you were going to do this through this avenue, through this way, and now you want me to destroy it. So you sense the tension there. How, how is that, that going to work out? And I'm sure those types of questions were going around in, in Abraham's mind. But I think we can, we can relate to some degree with how Abraham was feeling because we read promises like this in the Scripture. For example, in John 10.10. 10. Here's what Jesus says. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so when you face a situation where your life doesn't seem to be uh, in accord with the promises of God, you're not experiencing the promises that God has said He was going to give you, how do you respond? For example, let's say you're in a marriage and it's not just unhappy, but it's just miserable. You're just not experiencing all that a marriage should be. You know, you look at your marriage and you think, I don't know how my marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. I'm just not happy. And then I read this scripture that says, Christ came to give me life, abundant life. And surely I'm not experiencing that now. And yet God says, I hate divorce. Stay married to your spouse. So you feel the tension. You feel the tension of, okay, do I obey God and stay in this marriage even though I don't see how I can have this abundant life in the midst of this marriage? Or maybe you know that to tell the truth, could it, even though it could be at work, or maybe in a relationship, to tell the truth could cause you to lose a relationship. It could cause you to lose a client or a patient or even your job. And yet God tells you to tell the truth. And you've got to ask yourself, is this the abundant life? Is this really what God wants for me in this? Surely He wants me to be happy. 
and experience life to the full, yet if I tell the truth, I'm going to lose my, my job. So what do you do? That is a test. You are in the arena of testing. And the question becomes, will you obey God in the moment, even though by obeying Him, it may seem to jeopardize His promises? And that's the tension that Abraham was experiencing as well. Now let's answer the question, why does God test us? In Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2, we read that after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. See, God is asking Abraham to demonstrate where his faith truly lies. God is asking Abraham to do something that the only way you will do it is if you fully trust God. That's the only way Abraham would carry this type of request out. And I think God tests us for two reasons. One reason is that I believe He's concerned about you personally. And the second reason is that I think He's concerned about those around you. Or another way to put it, the reason that God tests us is both an internal reason and an external reason. The internal reason or the individual reason why God tests you is that He wants to unshackle your faith from the things of the world, even the good things, so that your trust will be fully in Him. Notice what God says to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now there's nothing wrong with loving Isaac. I mean, I'm sure Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac very much. I mean, God gave, him, gave them Isaac. Isaac was a gift of God. And yet God is asking them to even give that up. Offer it up to God. Will you do it? So what we see here is that sometimes, sometimes even the good things in our lives, the God-given gifts in our lives, even those can threaten our faith and trust in God. And so we have to ask ourselves, we've got to ask ourselves the question, is there anything in my life more precious to me than God? Or is there anything in my life that I am trusting in more than God? That could be your Isaac. It's not a sinful thing, it's a good thing, but maybe you're making it the ultimate thing. And God wants you to offer it up to Him. So one reason that God tests our faith is to unshackle our faith from the things of the world so that our faith will be fully placed in Him. Now the other reason, the external reason that God tests us, I believe, is to put Himself on display. I mean, just think about this. We have this account of a man named Abraham from thousands and thousands of years ago, preserved in the book of Genesis, and again referenced in the letter to the Hebrews. Now out of all of the events in Abraham's life, why do we have this one? 
It's because this is such a dramatic example of a man of faith that it's been preserved all these years, obviously by the Holy Spirit, so that we can see who God is. Because of Abraham's faith, not only was his faith shown to be fully in God, but because of his act of faith, his obedience, we get to look in through the window of his life and see how great God is. And so God tests us not only to unshackle our faith from the things of the world, that internal reason, but also when we trust God and we step out in obedience, sometimes people see that and it puts God on display. That your trust, your faith is primarily in God Himself. So finally, let's look at the question, how do we pass the test? We see what a test is. We see why God tests us. Now let's ask the question, how do we pass the test? Look again with me at Genesis 22, verse 3. Now when God told Abraham to go and to offer up his son, look how Abraham responded in verse 3. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So in the text, you see no hesitancy. Even though this is a dramatic test, there's no hesitancy. God spoke to Abraham, told him what to do. Abraham did it. It's like Alex talked about earlier. You get a phone call from your parents, you know it's them, they tell you to do something, you do it. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham heard his voice. His trust is in God. Just like we talked about earlier, the athlete, the scholar, the person with certain skills, the building, the faith was there. And in this test, it comes to the surface and it is put on display for the world to see. And there's no hesitation. But clearly there were some questions. I'm sure there were some questions going around in Abraham's mind. How, God, how are you going to fulfill your promise if I offer up this son of promise? Well, then in verse 5 we read, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So in the midst of his obedience and in the midst of the questions that I'm sure that are going around in Abraham's mind of how God would fulfill his promise, he believed that in some way God was going to work. He was going to resurrect Isaac. He was going to do something to carry out his promises to God. And yet he fully went forward in faith. And we see him saying to the young men, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So Abraham seems to think, even if I offer up my son and put him to death, that God will bring about a resurrection in this situation and carry out his promises. We'll come back to you here. And then in Hebrews eleven nineteen, it says, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So although Abraham was called just to offer up Isaac fully to God, He believed that God could even bring about life and resurrection in the midst of this offering. Even though he didn't fully understand how that was going to happen in the moment. 
So as Abraham marched forward in faith to the mountain in Moriah with his son, we read in Genesis 22, verses 7 through 8, it says, And Isaac said to his father, Now just put yourself in this position as a parent. You're walking up the mountain. It's just you and your son. And he asked you this question. My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Just just imagine that, walking up with your child. He says, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's the offering? How do you respond to that? Look what Abraham says. Abraham said, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And then in verses 9-14 through it says, When they came to the place of which God had told, told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the, wo- the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar. I just want to make a little note here. Isaac was not a baby. Isaac was a young man. Abraham is well over 100 years old. And yet Abraham bound Isaac. What this tells me is that Isaac believed God. Isaac didn't fight his father. But he believed God. Somehow God was going to provide. So Abraham binds Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now what enabled Abraham to offer up his son? What enabled him to pass the test? How was he able to to pass this test, this great test? I believe the only way Abraham was able to pass this test is that God gave him a glimpse of His redemptive provision for him. His promise. That God somehow was going to bring about redemption both for Abraham, Isaac, and even the nations. Somehow, even in the midst of this situation. And Abraham moved forward in faith. He believed that God would be faithful to His promise, even though His command seemed to jeopardize it. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, how do we pass the test? How how do you and I pass this test when we face these types of situations? Well, what we're going to see is, in whatever situation you're in, the only way to pass the test is to obey God. 
Even when His command seems to jeopardize the promise. We need to obey God. And how do we know what God commands? Well, He gives us the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? That's what we need to do. Even though it may seem to jeopardize His promise. And also I believe the only way you and I will obey God's commands and follow God in these types of tests, if like Abraham, we catch a glimpse of God's redemptive provision for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, Abraham was was right when he told his son Isaac that God would provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. You know, the prophet Isaiah, speaking about the coming Messiah in Isaiah 53, 6 and 7, says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You know, in the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized, it says this in John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, Abraham was right in telling Isaac that God would provide a lamb for himself. And as Jesus was entering Jerusalem, as the Jews were preparing for the Passover feast, and if you remember, the reason why they they celebrate this Passover feast is that when God was bringing His people out of Egypt, one of the plagues that He sent was the death of your firstborn. And the only way that the angel of death would pass over your home is that if you took the blood of the Lamb and you put it over the doorpost. And as the death angel came over your house, if you were covered with the blood of the Lamb, it would pass over you. And so year after year, the Jewish people would celebrate the Feast of Passover, commemorating that event where the death angel passed over their house. And as Jesus entered Jerusalem during that last week of His life, He was accompanied by an interesting sight. You know, Josephus, an early Jewish historian, said when the Passover feast happened, days before the feast, the people would bring in upwards of 250,000 lambs into the city of Jerusalem to be prepared to be sacrificed. And so as Jesus makes His way into Jerusalem, it is very likely that there are thousands of lambs being herded into the city and prepared for sacrifice. And yet there in the midst of all these lambs is the one Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. And I don't know if Abraham realized that this Lamb of God that that he would provide for himself would be his only son. And the reason that Abraham was able to receive his son back is because God gave his son in death. And the only reason you and I can have life both now and forever is because of the death of God's Son. And I believe it's as, it's as we grow in our understanding and our recognition of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, 
through His death, burial, and resurrection. It is only through faith in what Christ has done, realizing what God has done in His Son, His love, His mercy, His grace that He poured out, His provision for you and for me, through Christ, it is only through that lens that we would ever be willing to offer up all that we have to God. See, we offer up all that we have because we've already been provided for. You know, it's interesting. Abraham, what did he call the place? In the mountain, God will provide. Not did provide. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, or perhaps more literally, the God who sees and the God who meets our need. And so the only way I believe you and I will ever be willing to offer up all that we have to God is if, if we embrace God's provision for us in Christ by faith. Let us pray. God, we come to You this morning astonished at this great man of faith, Abraham, and how he just trusted You, responded unhesitantly to Your command, and yet at the same time believed that You would fulfill Your promise. Lord, our pray as each of us reflect on how You provided for us through the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, how You've given us Your Son so that we can have life, that we would be willing, because of what You've done for us, we'd be willing to offer up all that we have for Your purposes. Lord, we ask by Your Holy Spirit that You would work that into our hearts this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.